Good morning. My name is Darren Earlywine. I get to speak here a couple times a month when Josh is gone and, and once a month when he's here. And uh, so glad you guys are at Mercy Road. If this is your first time. Thanks for being here. And uh, dudes, I don't have a lot of time today because we got a, a thing. Just, just so the whole day is packed. We're going to have baptism. It's going to be so awesome. I just met the guys getting baptized, so I don't have time for this story. But like, just can I be like just a moment of excitement? Like, here's the deal. Like, I was driving with my kid this week and, and just talking about our life and how crazy it is and fun it is. And I said, Cole, I said, man, listen, when I was your age, I was so afraid to trust God with my life because I thought he would screw up my life and it would be no fun. And I said, I'm going to tell you something, buddy. I was like, I've never been happier that I've trusted God to follow with my life, right? So like... You know, you guys kind of know me, but like I used to be like a regular pastor and then I started doing this pub theology thing and then I felt guilty because I was like hanging out in bars and didn't know what happened. And then I was at another church and I left that church and then all this crazy stuff has happened. And now I host a radio show on, on ZPL and try to do a bunch of other stuff. And here's the deal. When you're trying to take risks for God's kingdom, if there's any apostolic leaders that are thinking about taking risks for God, you freak out because you think to yourself, am I just psycho or is God really behind this, right? And then you have these moments where it's like you're, you're doing bar ministry maybe or something and you're driving home at 3 a.m. thinking to yourself, why am I? doing this and then you do radio show stuff and it's crazy like my weekend was so nuts right like I did like some premarital counseling on Friday and then Friday night I get to like interview Niall Horn from like One Direction and now he's just him you know and hang out with Flo Rider and I'm like what is my life right and then and, and then I get to be here today and then I just found out before I walked on, on, on stage right now is that one of the dudes is getting baptized in this service he came to Christ because he heard the radio show at one point and then he listened to Eric Maitland's edition of the Born to Be podcast about coming to Christ and he's coming to get baptized today so for me yeah praise God. so just I'm so like stoked because in my like crazy am I really crazy or is God in this thing like this morning for me was like God being like hey I'm actually in this you're not psycho or at least you're not more psycho than you actually are but you are hearing my voice so I'm hearing the voice and I'm loving it and I hope that today you hear the voice and I'm gonna take a risk today in the sermon the last 10 minutes are gonna be Jesus preaching and not me and the last time I thought God told me to do something and I obeyed it it was good except I ended up laying on a stage for 35 minutes instead of preaching so today is kind of a risk not that bad of a risk we did a first service no one died most people heard from God so we're gonna stick with it so when I'm not doing all that junk that I just talked about, I'm coaching baseball. In fact, right now at 11 o'clock today, my team will be taking the field down in Mooresville. And I coach third base, which is, if you don't know baseball, third base, like there's the kids on the field. And they're probably the single most important person in the game other than the kids would be me coaching third base, okay? Because what happens when you coach third base is if they get a nice hit and they round, they round first, they got to pick up your voice from across the diamond to let them know they need to get down. Can they go in standing up or do they need to accelerate to get to third? Very important. Then when they get to third, right, as they're coming around third, my voice is the last voice they hear if they score or not. So I got to position myself in an angle so as they're coming towards third, they can pick up my voice and my signs of whether it's get down or it's just we're going to score, right? That's, that's my score. That's it. Boom, right? And then sometimes when you're at first, you need, you need to know if we're going to steal or not because we've got to take away the force out, of course. So you, gotta, you, you say things to the kids, then you have signs. Okay, I'm going to give you guys a steal sign. You tell me if you can pick it up, right? We're going to go here. All right, kid, to, to, the, to the head. Oh, double here. What's this? Up and down, up and down. Here, here, and steal was in there somewhere. You guys don't know it because the, the indicator is the top of the hat. All right? So anyway, I give the kids signs. And sometimes they listen, but there's, there's a progression. I say stuff, then I give them signs, and then there's silence. And in that silence, I have to figure out or they have to figure out, as a 10-year-old boy, do I listen to coach or not? 
the easiest sign I give them is this one. It means take. It means don't swing at this next pitch. Given to them usually when they have three balls, no strikes, and we're hoping to get a walk. Sometimes, if a pitcher's having problems, I'll walk up to these 10-year-old boys, and I'll get right in the level. I'll say, hey, look, buddy, this guy can't throw strikes. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to take until you get a strike. That means that by no, by no means ever swing at a pitch until you already have a strike on you. Do you understand what I'm saying right now? Yes, coach. All right, all right, all right. Then I walk down to third base because I've said what needs to happen. Then I come back just to reiterate, hey, buddy. And I, <laughs> I tell no lies this morning. The amount of times that one of those lovely children <laughs> just sees a fat daddy pitch six feet over their head. <laughs> and they look down at me and I'm like, what are you doing? What is this, right? A couple times the kid's done that and actually got on base and they get to third and they had this big smile on their face. Like, I did great for my team. And I'll just walk up slowly so their parents can't hear it. And I'll be like, you're lucky that ball went through because if you'd have grounded out, I'd have killed you. <laughs> All right, buddy. Don't get thrown out at home, right? But if you follow the progression, I think you probably you understand what I'm saying here, is that's what happens with us and God all the time. He says things to us. In fact, we're going to read a bunch of what God says. Sometimes he even gives us some signs, right? Circumstances happen. You get a job, you lose a job. You get in a fight, you fix a fight. You hear a song that makes you cry. The scriptures come alive to you and somehow. You have a conversation with three people in a matter of a couple of weeks and the same thing is said in each of them. And God is saying, hey, hey, yeah, 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 forgive them. So he said some things, and then he gives us some signs, and then there is silence. And you decide, am I going to listen to coach or not? Now, see, in my illustration, it's just stupid 10-U baseball. But in your life and in my life, it's the voice of the living God who created the universe speaking into your life to draw you into living the life he created you to live, to become the person he created you to be, and to see faith and hope and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control actually transform your life to look a little more like his. That's big time stuff. So are you listening? He says stuff, he gives us signs, and then there's silence. So what I'm trying to say is, are you listening to this of what God is saying in your life? Because here's the reality for us, is God's voice is meant to be acted upon. We're actually meant to take action on what God is saying to us. God's word and God's voice in our life is not meant to be information. It's meant to be applied, acted upon, and create transformation. Here's the problem with you and with me. We are inundated with information in our life, okay? You get, I mean, on my iPad here, during this sermon, if anybody tweets at me, it'll pop up on me. If WTHR tells us that it's going to be 80, it's going to pop up and interrupt my entire sermon, right? Last week, people were tweeting, and I was like, I'm trying to preach. Stop tweeting because it's popping up on my screen, right? You just get information, information, information at you all the time. And a lot of times, guys, we get information about stuff that we think we're actually taking action on, but we're not. Like you see a tragedy somewhere in the world pop up on your Facebook feed 
and you click a button saying, I like that, or I'm praying for that emoji, or heart emoji, or cryy face emoji, right? So information came to us that there could be actual action needed to move in to actually make a transformational impact on that. But we're so inundated with information that we have no intention to do anything with. We think if we just click a virtual button, we're somehow involved in doing something. And my fear is that we've allowed God's voice, the scriptures, the way his Holy Spirit speaks, the way we, that Eric unpacked last week, and I did the first week of how the voice of God comes to us, is we're keeping it in the pool of information that I don't intend to do anything about and missing the transformation that could come. This is what James is talking about in James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, don't fool yourself into thinking you're a good listener when you are anything but You let the word of God go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of their eye and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain, but a man or woman of action, that person will find delight and affirmation in the action. Listen and act. The listening part is, is, is a process of, of repenting or changing your mind. God speaks into your life and you notice that something applies to you. And he's given you an opportunity to change the way you think about something. That is meant not just to say, I think differently, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, it says in Romans chapter 12. That we would actually begin to act on it or believe that if I apply these truths, if I apply what God is saying, it will benefit, change, transform my life. So are you a person of action? Are you a person of action? What God is looking for, I believe, is he's looking for people with spiritual inertia. I had to get into some physics this week, very deep. So I read Newton's first law of motion. It says this, unless acted upon by an external force, an object at rest remains at rest. Or if in motion, it continues to move in a straight line with consistent speed. You see, God's spirit, it's the way he speaks to us, right? Internally through our spirit. And the word spirit in the Bible means breath or wind. So as God's spirit, the wind of God comes into our life. He's trying to nudge us together, fill the sails of our soul, if you will, and create spiritual inertia where he speaks, we get information, and we take action on it and begin to move. Some of us are wondering why we don't see God at work more in our life or why God won't direct us more. And some of it may be because the law of inertia is working for you and you are at rest and you will remain at rest until you begin to say God's word and his voice is actually meant to create momentum and inertia and action as I begin obeying it. It's amazing how much easier it is, right, to direct an object in motion. Today may be a day for you to look at your life and say, what does my spiritual momentum, and what's the track here? Is it basically two skid marks of me digging my heels into what God's trying to do? Or am I seeing a path as we move together? James talked about this idea of acting and listening. I think he may have gotten it because he listened to his half-brother Jesus talk about this in the Sermon on the Mount. 
And I guess Jesus talked about it a little bit more than just this one time. But here's how Jesus puts it to us in Matthew chapter 7. He's, this is his final paragraph of the end of his, probably the best sermon he ever gave, the only one that we have in its entirety, the Sermon on the Mount. And he ends, ends this sermon with this, with this paragraph. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living, right? He's saying the words I just got done speaking, they are not information for you to just have, He says, they are foundational words, words to build a life on. And if you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on the rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. And when a storm rolled in and the waves came, it collapsed in a house, like a house cards here's a question that jesus is asking this morning is are you a stupid carpenter you say darren that's offensive no it's not it could be descriptive because see if we live our life where we accept what god says is true but we don't act on it we're stupid That's just stupid. Like, you know, you accept it. This is what God is saying to me. This is what God is saying to us as as his believers, as his body, as a church. Like, I know what he's saying. So why aren't you doing anything about it? I guess it's because I'm stupid. Because if I was smart, I would just apply the things that he's saying. I think sometimes the world has issues with believing in the message that we speak as Christians because when they don't see us actually live what we believe, they go, that life looks stupid. Right? So there's that. Or or we can take action on, on, on things in our life without any acceptance of what God has said. They just do our own deal. That's not stupid. That's foolishness. Like if there is a coach, if there is a God, if there is a mentor, if there is someone that wants to teach you how to live life the way it was created to be lived, and you don't take any stock in what he says and the opportunity and offer he gives you, you're just living a foolish life. But if you combine the two, Acceptance that God's voice is speaking to you every day and in everyday type of ways. That this cosmos is communicating to us in ways that if we begin to pay attention, we will hear. And we say, I'm not going to put this in an information bank in my life. I'm accepting the word of God as actual instructions towards transformation. And I will take action on what I hear. We will see our life transformed by the renewing of our minds. And day by day, step by step, Nudge of the Holy Spirit by nudge of the Holy Spirit, we will become the person we were created to be. So here's what we're going to do. Here's the experiment. I can keep talking or we can take 10 minutes and just let Jesus talk to you. So here's how this is going to work. I'm going to read the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to invite you in to listen to it as if Jesus is speaking to you. And as I'm reading... 
If anything that Jesus says applies to something going on in your life right now, or your, your heart beats a little bit stronger as you hear me say it, something in your mind goes, that's for you. You begin to sweat a little bit. I don't know how the Holy Spirit will tap you on the shoulder, but if something Jesus is saying somehow applies to something in your life, I just want you to stand up. I know it'll be humble. It'll be courageous for you to do it. But I want you to stand up, and then I want you to tune out the rest thing I'm saying and just begin talking to Jesus about, Jesus, what do you want me to do about that? I want you to stand up because what I want us to experience this morning is that God is alive and well and speaking about different things to lots of different people in the room. I also want you to stand up because it's a part of that next thing of motion. It's your first step towards obedience that I will begin to bring motion and obedience to that which God tells me. Let's let Jesus speak to us, his people this morning. You want to close your eyes, close your eyes. If you wanted to listen, please listen. It's going to be up on the screen if you can't pay attention while someone else is reading. Jesus, speak to us right now, I ask in the name of Jesus. Speak to us through what you have already said that we may hear it and take action on it. In obedience, we create transformation. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. And those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, the climbed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And this is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what's most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. And you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind, your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete and fight. That's when you'll discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. And not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is the truth is too close for comfort and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens to you. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds and you and now... And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors in this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light. Bring out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a blanket, do you? I'll put you on a light stand. Now that I put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. And keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. And don't suppose for a minute that I've come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. <clears throat> I'm going to put it all together, put it all together in a vast panorama. God's law is more real and lasting than the stars in the sky and the ground of your feet. Long after the stars burn out and earth wears out, God's law will be alive and working. You trivialize the smallest item of God's law and you only have trivialized yourself. But take it seriously. Show the, other, show the way for others and you'll find honor in the kingdom. 
Unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matters of right living, you don't know, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. Now you're familiar with the command of the ancients, do not murder. Well, I'm telling you that anyone who is so is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call your brother an idiot, and you might just find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter a place of worship and you're about to make an offering and you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offer, leave immediately, and go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. Or say you're out in the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even in jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. And you know the next commandment pretty well, too. Don't go to bed with your neighbors with, with another spouse. But don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they're also corrupt. And let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful ear. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pipe. You have to chop off your right arm the, right, the moment you notice it's raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being discarded for good in the dump. And remember the scripture that says, whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally, giving her divorce papers and her legal rights. Too many of you are using that as a cover-up for selfishness and whim. Pretending to be righteous just because you're legal. Please no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her adulterous, unless she has already made herself that by sexual promiscuity. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer yourself. You can't use legal cover to mask a moral failure. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you. And never doing it. Or saying, God be with you and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. And making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes or no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Here's another old saying that deserves a second look. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Is that going to get us anywhere? Here's what I propose. Don't hit back at all. If someone strikes you, stand there and take it. If someone drags you into court and sues you for the shirt off your back, gift wrap your best cloak and make a present of it. And if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. Now, you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer. Then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless of the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If, you, if all you do is love the lovable, do you expect to get a bonus? Anyone can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect to get a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is this. Grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out of your God-created identity. Identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. And be especially careful when you're, trying, uh, when you're trying to do good so that you won't make a performance out of it. It might be good theater, but the God who made you won't be applauding. When you do something for someone else, don't call attention to yourself. You've seen them in action. I'm sure the play actors, I call them. 
treating prayer meeting and street corner alike as a stage, acting compassion as long as someone is watching, playing to the crowds. They get applause, true, but that's all we'll get. When you help someone out, don't think about how it looks. Just do it quietly and unobtrusively. That's the way your God who conceived you and loved, working behind the scenes, helps you out. And when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet place, secluded, so that you won't be tempted to role play before God and just be there simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will be and you will begin to sense his grace. The world is so full of so-called prayer warriors who, who, who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, pending, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. But don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. In prayer, you see, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. And when you practice some appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require attention-getting devices. He won't overlook what you're doing. He'll reward you well. And don't hoard treasure down here on earth where it gets eaten by moss and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your wise-eyed in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, your dark life, what a dark life you will have. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one God, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt for the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes, whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than food on your, the food you put in your stomach and more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to the job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone by fussing in front of a mirror even gotten taller so much by an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but if you ever seen color and design quite like it, the 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby along them side. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of, which, most of which will never be seen, don't you think he'll tend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to get you to do here is to relax. Do not be so preoccupied with getting you can't respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works, they fuss over these things. But you know God, both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provision. And don't worry about missing out. You'll find your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or, way not, what, what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when that time comes. And don't pick on people. 
jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? It's the whole traveling roadshow mentality over again, playing a holier thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe the ugly sneer off your face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. And don't be flipped with the sacred. Banter and silliness give no honor to God. And don't reduce holy mysteries to slogans and trying to be relevant. You're only being cute and inviting sacrilege. And don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't think... The God who conceived you. So don't you think the God who conceived you in love will be even better? Here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets and this is what you get. And don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easy formulas for successful, successful life. They can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life, to God, It's vigorous and requires total attention. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practice sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off some way or the other. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees will get, and bad apples are going to get chopped down and burned. Knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. And I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preach the message, we bash the demons, our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. You know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. These words I speak to you are not incidental, incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words to build a life on. And if you work these words, the words I just wrote to you, the, read to you, the words that Jesus just spoke to you, if you work them into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built their house on solid rock and rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to that rock. But if you use my words, if you just use them in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house in the sandy beach when the storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Jesus, these are your words. They are not incidental. They are not add-ons. They are foundational truths. I thank you for the way that you have spoken to us as a community today. I pray that you would give us the humility, the grace, the vulnerability, and strength enough to take action. As small as it may seem, as big as it may seem, I pray that we would be listeners and doers of your word. And the result would be a transformation of our life, of our family, our job site, our school of this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.